So the passage today is from Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Let's, let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Our loving Father, we uh, don't want to live without you. Uh, that's what the confession was about. We want you to be center in our lives. You are our creator. You sustain our lives. You give us things. And, but more than that, you're taking this world in a direction and we want to be in alignment with it and we want to know your will and do it. So Father, please profit the next number of minutes as we think about what your will is for our, our lives and us as a church and give us open and humble hearts uh, to accept your will and do it. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. What is God's will for us and how do we work it out? Maybe like me at those times when you've been perhaps wrestling with a very hard decision, you don't know which way to go. You've just wished, haven't you done this? You've wished that there was in the Bible a chapter with your name at the top of the heading and you could just open it and it would just tell you what God's will was for you in a very specific way. How do you know what God's will is for you when there's no, when your name isn't there at the top of a chapter in the Bible? Our task is to try and collectively discern from the Bible what God's plans are for us as a church in the year ahead. And so, of course, we're going to turn to the chapter in the Bible entitled God's Plans for Trinity Church Adelaide in 2024, or as you'll know it better, Matthew 28. <laughs> okay. If you need a Bible, I want you to stick up your hand. I'd like every eyeball on a Bible today. Now, there were actually some, um, oh, Meryl's got a Bible, so she's holding one up. Or you could go to our QR code um, and open our electronic leaflet. Or you could open up the Bible in your Bible reading app. Or there was a vision handout. Did anyone get a vision handout? Did anyone get it? Someone would really be good if someone finds those vision handouts <laughs> and hands them out. <laughs> that would be very helpful. They were produced for today. Okay. Um, all right. Our journey is going to take three steps. First and most, that will be most of our time, we're, we're looking at Matthew 28. We're going to revisit Jesus' Great Commission. And then we'll think through our existing church's vision in line with that. And then we'll briefly plot some goals for 2024. Meryl, I think you should just hand one out to everyone. Yep. So there you go. Just Meryl will come around as I speak. All right. Last week, we looked at the context of Jesus' words, and this week, we are helped by Rudyard Kipling. He was the British author, of course, of The Jungle Book, and Kipling said, and I quote, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names 
are what and why and when, and how and where and who. Six honest serving men, they uncover the heart of things. So we're going to use those serving men and let them serve us today. Here is Jesus' words of the Great Commission that Evan just read. What? This is Jesus' great commission of his disciples, the words he speaks to send his disciples out. He commissions them to go out to the nations. Why? Why does he send them out? Because of who he is. He's just been explaining this to his disciples and we covered this last week. He had of course appeared to his disciples on that mountain in Galilee, glorious, risen from the dead. They were seeing, when they saw him, the one who had defeated death. They were seeing the Lord of life. They worshipped him. But when some doubted about whether they should worship him because isn't worship something you only do for God, Jesus came to them and settled their doubts by saying the words of the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. Now this language comes directly from Daniel chapter seven, and we covered this last week, where Daniel prophesied the coming of one like a son of man, a human one. But also he would be not just human, but divine, possessing all authority and glory and power, ruling forever, worshiped by all nations and all peoples. Jesus picks up on that language of that prophecy of one who was going to come, who would be divine and human, who would be worshiped. And he effectively alludes to it very strongly and he says, guys, if you're in doubt about whether you should worship me, please don't doubt any longer, I'm that guy. I am the divine human one Daniel prophesied about who the nations will one day worship. And because the nations will one day worship me, therefore, go to the nations. Tell them so that they too can worship me. So the reason why Jesus commissions and sends out his disciples is because of who he is, the one the nations will worship. What, why, when? Jesus gave his commission after he died for the sins of the nations. He then, at that point, opened up the way for the nations to come and worship. He gave this commission after he had risen as the one who was the Lord of the nations. He has authority over the whole world. And of course, these were his final words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Meaning that they are not just ones we can casually disregard. This is Jesus' long-term abiding agenda for his disciples. He didn't have an appendix after this, you know, that he added on, oh, here's a next instruction. No, this was it. This was it. This is his agenda. Okay, now for how long? Jesus said, well, until the very end of the age. That will be, the, this age will conclude when Jesus returns. So this is Jesus' ongoing abiding agenda. This is what he wants his disciples to be about until he returns. What, why, when, next, how? How are they to do it? Jesus tells us. He uses verbs. Now, I'm sorry to get technical. Do you remember verbs? 
doing words. Well done. Men down the front, well done. Doing words, okay? So in the Great Commission, there are four doing words, okay? Go, make, disciples, baptizing, teaching. Four verbs, but here's a little head up. Only one of them is a command. All right, now your task is to tell me which one. Hands up, okay, just have a guess. What do you think? Hands up if you think the main command there is go. Okay, hands up if you think the main command is make. Make disciples. Hands up if you think it's baptizing. Oh, we have one closet Baptist here, well done. <laughs> Good on you, Tony. And hands up if, you've, if you think the main command is teaching. Okay, a couple. Well, if you were able to put on little Greek glasses, you would see very clearly that the main command is in fact make disciples. That is the main command. The other verbs are in fact participles, if that makes anything to you, they're the ing words. They, they tell you how you are to make disciples. The word literally, uh, the word go literally is going. And the sense is as you're going, this is the thing you're to be about. You are to make disciples. Now, how do you make disciples is the question. Well, there's two parts and Jesus tells us. Um, but when we think about it, just first of all, of course, first people need to turn to Jesus and believe in him. And that means they have to hear about him. So it involves someone telling them and that involves us sharing the gospel. This is evangelism. All right, um, that, that's a technical word. It just comes from the Greek word euangelion, which just means gospel, good news. So evangelism is telling the good news. But of course, Jesus' directive goes further. He doesn't just say make converts. You might be tempted if someone becomes a Christian, that's it, job done. He says, no, job isn't done. Make disciples, make, my, make people my followers who will actively through their life, listen to my words, follow my example, live my way. Our aim isn't just to see people um, converted, hear about Jesus, put their faith in him, but it's what comes next as well, to live lives that are changed enthroning Jesus Christ as Lord. Those two steps, right, evangelism and then making them obedient to him, uh, really come out in the two other verbs he gives, baptizing and teaching. This is how you make disciples. So first of all, baptizing. He says, make disciples by doing these two things. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the first step. And that is seeing people saved. And the way it's described means, first of all, immersing them in who God is. That's what the word baptize means. Baptizo means immerse. He's not talking first and foremost about getting people wet, all right? It means immersing them in, he doesn't say make sure you immerse them in water, in, in who, in, in what? In who God is, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And again, in the Bible, that word name 
means character, what someone's like. So for example, in Exodus 34, when God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai and he, he hid him in a cleft of the rock and the Lord passed by Moses and he proclaimed to Moses his name. Um, when he was doing that, he was immersing Moses in who he is. He proclaimed, in fact, his character. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. So baptizing someone into the name of God is to immerse them in who God is. And who is God? We note it's one God, don't we? Not three. He says baptize them into the name, singular, not names, plural. Baptize them into the name of God, who is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So you immerse them in who God is, but then secondly, baptizing people into God's name is, when you think about it, it's if, if you're baptized into God's name, you change your identity, you swap allegiance, you swap sides, you now side with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and this is you taking that step of being saved. Think about it. To be baptized into the name of God the Father means to move from not belonging to God, not being in his family, not knowing God as your Father, to then entering God's family as his adopted and precious son or daughter, and you live with him as your Father. That's what happens when you're baptized into his name, when you take that step. Or to be baptized into the name of God the Son. It's to move from not having Christ as Lord, living your own life, your own way without God, to suddenly embracing him and saying, you're the one in charge, I accept that you are Lord and you are my savior. Baptizing into the name of God's Son. Baptizing into the name of the Spirit is to move from having a very hard heart towards God to then, by the Spirit, having your heart softened towards him and then entering into a relationship with God and then being able to live in fellowship with him. That's the ministry of the Spirit. Baptizing is an umbrella term that's the first step, the first part of making disciples. It is seeing people saved, all right? But then the second part of making disciples is teaching them, teaching them not for PhD's sake, not for head knowledge's sake, but for obedience sake. So that people will obey everything that Jesus has commanded the 11 which, are, which is recorded for us in the New Testament, okay? That is, Jesus Christ doesn't want graduates, he wants disciples. He wants people who follow him people who come and keep on coming to him to listen, to learn from him, to imitate him, to obey him in their lives. Why? Because he is not just our teacher, he is the Lord. He is the good and loving Lord whom the Father has sent. He is the Son of God. He has authority over our lives and when it's exercised, it is for our good and for his glory. He is our King. Now, of course, you know that to, uh, to learn to obey Jesus takes years, doesn't it? Well, it's a lifetime. 
and therefore you'll need the constant encouragement of fellow believers and of the word of God to be able to do it right throughout your life. And that's why being part of a church like this uh, is so essential and so necessary if you're going to be one of Jesus' disciples because we just need the help of other people to do it, right, don't we? That's why, when and how, next is where. Where are we to make disciples? We're here in Aldgate, but Jesus' mandate, of course, is to go to the nations, meaning nations who do not know God, who worship other idols. We're here in Aldgate. This is a long way from where Jesus first spoke. Why are we here? We are here because other people went to the nations. Um, more recently, we're here because Charles Beaumont Howard left his home in England and travelled across the world to be the first chaplain to a new colony. And then because 165 years after that, Chris and Belinda Edwards left their home in Clemsig to plant a new church here in the hills. Reaching the nations must mean that at least some disciples leave their communities, their families, they cross borders. In fact, they often learn new languages and embrace new cultures to bring the gospel to those places. I am still praying that from this gathering, God would raise up at least one family unit to go with CMS out to somewhere else in the world. This is Jesus' agenda. This is what he wants us to do. Last question, who? Who is this applied to? Is it just the 11 apostles, the first hearers of this? I mean, they were the ones there and he sent them out, so isn't it just them? Or perhaps isn't it just clergy or missionaries? Who is this applied to? Well, it can't be just the 11 apostles that Jesus spoke to because Jesus' agenda was to reach the nations and they died before the nations were reached. Bop, bop. It can't be just the 11 apostles because when we look, the word apostle isn't actually there. Nor is the word evangelist, nor missionary, nor pastor. Instead, the word Matthew uses is disciples, which is a deliberate choice. It is the common word used in Matthew's gospel to describe all Christian believers. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple. And Jesus sends the disciples out, not the apostles, the disciples. The Great Commission applies to all of us. Those are the answers to the question what and why and when and how and where and who. They've served us, those men. We know Jesus' agenda for us. What is Jesus' agenda? It is to worship him as Lord, of course, as the resurrected Lord, who he is. It is being taught then to obey him. It is then actively participating in reaching the nations one way or another because that he deserves it, right? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, do you, do you hear what he's saying? He doesn't want Sunday lip worshippers only. I mean, he does love it when people gather to worship him, but he doesn't just want that. He wants people who are obedient to him all through their lives. The rest of the week as well, right? 
He doesn't want people who are obedient to him through their lives, but are actually obedient with a limit. That is, they're unconcerned about reaching the nations. He wants us to reach out so that the nations too may worship. That is what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And that, therefore, is God's will for us as a church. And knowing that gives clarity to us as we think through our plans in 2024. Now, there are some new people here today, and it's wonderful you're here, and maybe you're someone, you don't actually know if you follow Jesus. You, don't, you may not know who Jesus is. That's okay. That's okay. Um, we all began where you were, and uh, yeah, anyway, we would love to talk to you about that. Um, this is a f- sort of in-house family talk for people who are a bit further on, but it's still relevant for you. Okay. I want to talk to you about our church's vision and how it aligns with Jesus one. Currently, our church's vision is to love God, to love one another, and to love peoples. Now, expanding on, up, on that, it's been functionally helpful to think about achieving those three loves in terms of, forgive me, five M's. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a bit kitsch, I know, just having five M's and all that sort of stuff, but M's work better than any other letter of the alphabet, so just bear with me. Okay, it's helpful for memory's sake. Magnification, this is magnifying God. This is making God big, worshiping him in the whole of our lives, existing for him, for his glory. This is loving God, in other words. Loving God is to magnify God in all of our lives. This is worshiping God in all of our lives, right? Enthroning Jesus everywhere. But then there's loving one another, and that does occupy a fair bit of what we do, and all our ministry teams actually can be grouped along these five M's. Um, Membership, being active members of a church, welcomed, integrated, belonging, caring of one another in community. You know, you come here and you think, this is where I belong. Um, My family is here. We function together, all right? That's membership. Maturity. Maturing and growing as disciples of Christ. This takes place, of course, here in our Sunday gathering. It takes place in our growth groups, our our youth groups, Blast and Basement. It takes place in kids' church. Um, What we are doing is trying to teach people to obey Jesus. Now, that is also part of loving one another. Ministry, that's what Moz was talking about. This is serving Christ and serving one another in the many different ways already outlined in our ministry teams, but also in another host of spontaneous ways not organized, which just happen as people love one another, right? And respond to needs that are out there. Loving others. Okay. We have to now ask, okay, there are the five M's, all right, where do they fit in the Great Commission? Are they there? All right, here is my go at trying to sketch them out. Okay, and it's on your um, uh, vision leaflet too. We see magnification there right up front when the disciples worship Jesus. We also see it in Jesus settling their doubts by telling telling them that he's the one that the nations will one day worship. In our church, a very key part of loving God and worship or magnifying God is coming together on a Sunday like this. We engage with God 
We come to the Father through the Son in the fellowship of the Spirit. We lift our hearts, we lift our voices to him, and we worship. Um, someone very honestly um, felt quite free to, to say to me recently, um, you know, I, I come to church, I don't come actually to listen to you, I come for the song, singing. And I know what they mean, right? You know, because that engages your heart. Um, I, know, I know exactly what they mean. You know, the words of the sermon often don't rattle in your head through the week. It's the words of the songs. I'm still singing three days into the week, you know. It's such an important part. Um, okay. Then we see membership in the Great Commission in the fact that those worshipping Jesus, of course, are a group of disciples that Jesus has called and Jesus has already gathered and they have had experience following him. And together he encourages encourages them by saying that he's with them through his spirit until the end of the age. In other words, being a Christian is not being an isolated, alone individual. Uh, these disciples belong to one another and they belong to him. They are members of Christ. Maturity, very easy to see in the Great Commission because Jesus te- tells them to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything He's commanded, that's maturity. Ministry is there, I think. It might be a stretch. It's harder to see. I think it is there. It's implied in the word go. As you're going, serving one another, make disciples. Because, of course, how do you make disciples if we're not, if you're not a great evangelist, if you're not, you haven't got the means to go overseas or you haven't got the gift of language acquisition, it's very hard to cross cultures and go into different countries. How do you do it? Well, the answer is we do it together. We collectively minister together. We have this as our objective, and even if you don't go, you use your gifts to support those who do. It's a team effort. In our church, of course, not everyone teaches or sings or evangelizes like that, but we can serve together and collectively do those things together. You know, how do we do evangelism together? You may not have the gift of the gab, but you can invite someone to go to a men's bouldering event. You can get, in other words, what we're doing is we're letting our church friends and our other friends intersect, and then that makes it very easy when a next activity is on or something else where Jesus' name is spoken about, and then it's not so strange for someone to come along, right? Then there's mission. Oh, sorry, with ministry. Um, oh, intersects with mission, of course. Next year, Mitch uh, will be heading up a mission team, and he's had experience doing this already in his current church. But of course, at the moment, the only people we've got on that team is Mitch. <laughs> That's not a team. We'll actually need a group of people to make that happen. So we will need people who can host, who can cook, who are just friendly to join him on that team. Okay. There's mission and evangelism, and that's explicit in the Great Commission, of course. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, immersing them in who God is, and getting people to swap sides. Okay. Now, our next slide, we're not going to remember this one. Thank you. 
I've been wordsmithing all those M's in the Great Commission, trying to put it all together. <laughs> it's not really something you'll remember, and therefore it's not going on our advertising. We're not putting this on a big poster saying, look, world, this is who we are. Okay, but just for ourselves, it's helpful to think for a moment, who are we? We'll put all that together. We are members of Christ's body, magnifying God, Father, Son, and Spirit, ministering together on mission, making, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Christ. It's not a new vision because it's still about loving God, it's still about loving each other, it's still about loving others. It's a refreshed one with more focus because it's grounded in Jesus' agenda of what he wants for us as a church. So now, very quickly, in terms of our plans for 2024, of course, we need to keep doing what we've already been doing well. Most of our ministries here are either loving God, magnification, or loving one another, membership, maturity, or ministry. But given Jesus' commission, it's helpful to us to set mission goals as well. Not because we think we can force God's hand, not because there is a magic silver bullet that we know, but because we know Jesus wants us to make disciples, he wants people to be saved, and we know that when what we want and what God wants aligns, he's more inclined to answer those prayers and bless those actions. Okay, so with humility, we're asking God, I'm suggesting that we would ask God to add to our number those who are being saved. And with striving with him, I'm suggesting as a church we have a goal, I don't know if that's too small for you to read, but five new conversions next year and 35 new members, gadzooks. Now, for five people to come to faith and for us to grow to 35 people, you might say, that is impossible. That is absolutely impossible, that's unachievable. Well, it would be if it was up to us, of course, but God's there and this is what he wants. You might simply say, Chris, that is totally unrealistic. Well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. But just think about it, if we had four or five families and we had 10 young adults join us, we'd be about there. And having a bigger goal than we think is likely is healthy for our church because it will stop us thinking job done when three new people walk in the door or when one person becomes a Christian. It actually forces us to think there's more people out there that need the gospel than we have in here, okay? So it's a concrete goal, but it's not, it's not law, right? <laughs> we humbly ask God to bless us in this way. I think it's healthy for us to do that. What else, very quickly? This year we've been lacking a functioning mission team who can run evangelistic courses. Um, we've employed Mitch to lead such a team, but as I said, we need a team. Maybe this is something you'd like to be part of. As well as that, we've, we've, we've known for a while a critical need is to devote resources to discipling our youth and young adults. Now, Mitch, of course, will be set aside to head this up, but he will be working with other people. Moz and the rest of the basement leaders, of course, and young adults leaders have been doing this. Our young adults leaders, praise God for the Marshalls and the Rolfs, right? Now, for four years they have done that, but they have, they have I don't know if I'm letting the cat out of the bag, but they have signaled that will be enough for them at the, at the end of this year. Therefore, 
we do need people to step into that space to work with Mitch to disciple our young adults. I don't know who that is, but I'll, you know, I put it out there. Thirdly, we've realised that one big help to growing in number will be to have clearer discipleship steps to lead people through, rather than just assuming it's going to happen by osmosis. We want to develop those. Fourthly, we want to open the front door to our church by having more community connection. Now, mainly music has been brilliant with this. So every Thursday they're down there doing their stuff and new people are coming, we don't see them, right? But they are connecting with people who are not at this place. It is wonderful. We need to have more front door open sort of moments. Um, how do we reach families? Well, towards the end of January, we're planning in this building to run a three-day holiday club to connect with families um, and parents who just need someone to mind their kids and do something profitable with their kids. But then we can invite those families and those kids to blast in the new year, okay? Um, our men's and women's ministries are crucial for doing that front door open contact connect with um, people who aren't currently here. And finally, God willing, we want to explore the possibility, once Mitch has found his feet, of, um, again, of a, an evening gathering. Now, th these are only our plans, but they're grounded in a refreshed church vision which comes from the commission that Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended into heaven. This was his agenda, and he was very clear. We are not a social club. We are not just here for ourselves. Uh, Jesus didn't just have 12 followers and say, well, that was pretty good, we had a good time. Okay, we are here as his disciples to see others worship him and to worship him ourselves, to make disciples of peoples around us. That's it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for Jesus' agenda, and we're excited by it, and a bit scared, but we ask, Heavenly Father, that we draw encouragement from Jesus who says he's with us, and through your spirit, we know that's true. Father, thank you for revealing your will to us, and as we make our plans, we ask that they would be in line with them, and we humbly ask that you would bless us in these regards. Would it be your will, Father? And we pray that it would be to add to our number those being saved. Um, we beg of you, may there be five in the next year. We don't know who they are, but we trust that you do and that you have put us here for a reason and that you have people in this community who you want saved. And Father in heaven, connect us with them May they come to know you. And it would be lovely if there are 35 people who currently do not attend church who would come. It's massive goal, it's bigger than we can do. But we trust it's in alignment with your will and we pray that it would happen. Make it happen, Lord, for Jesus' glory, not for our own, but for the one we worship. Amen. <laughs>